Hi, welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown. I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover. And before we get started, just a reminder that while we aim to inform and educate, our podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're going to talk about a sensitive subject today that too many women suffer with and don't talk about. If you're one of the many women who avoids sex because of pain, can't put in a tampon because it hurts too much, or avoids going to the GYN because the idea of an internal exam is overwhelming, you may be experiencing vaginismus. Vaginismus is a condition where the vaginal muscles involuntarily spasm or tighten, making any kind of penetration extremely painful. We don't know exactly how many women suffer from this condition because, understandably, it can be a difficult subject to bring up to the doctor. But if you ask an OBGYN, he or she will tell you it's more common than you think. Today, we're going to hear from the CEO of a company which created a device to address this problem. Hi, welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown. I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover, and I am delighted today to welcome Tracy McNeil, who is President and CEO of Materna Medical. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. And so full disclosure, I am an investor in your company. And so why don't you talk a little bit about what the products are that Materna Medical is providing? Sure. Thank you so much. And thank you for being an investor. It means so much to us. So Materna has two products. One has FDA clearance and is on the market. It is called Millie. It is a vaginal dilator that has FDA indication for relieving the symptoms of vaginismus, which is a high tone pelvic floor disorder. I'm excited to talk with you about it. And associated dyspareunia or painful sex. And our second product is in a clinical trial aiming to reduce pelvic floor injury during childbirth. It's also a vaginal dilator used during labor and delivery in the hospital. So let's talk about Millie and the problem that you're trying to solve there. Right. Well, uh, I'm not the founder of Materna, and I had never heard of this condition before I joined. And so I'm going to share the story kind of the way I discovered it. And I think that it's an important way to tell the story because it's often how patients discover it themselves. Uh, ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, estimates that between 5 and 17% of women have vaginismus. That's a big range, but it's either way, it's anywhere in that range, it's not a small number. So it's not an uncommon condition. Across all and, ages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Across all ages, thanks. Yeah. And what it is, is a high tone pelvic floor disorder. So let's talk a little bit just defining what the pelvic floor is. Yeah. So the pelvic floor is a web of muscles that stretches across your pelvis and holds up the weight of your trunk. Like, so your whole, your, you know, all of your guts and, and everything all the way up to your head, like that's resting on this hammock of muscles. And it has uh, an opening that your urethra and your, the, the urethra and the vagina and the rectum go through that hole. So when the hole is too loose, things can get kind of floppy. And when the hole is too tight, things can really hurt. It's basically holding all the reproductive organs, if you will, Mm -hmm. within that one area. 
well, so most people have had some kind of involuntary muscle contraction somewhere in their body. You know, some people get that neck thing that won't go away or a low back thing, or sometimes people wake up in the night with, some people call it a Charlie horse, right? In Mm -hmm. their their calf or in their foot. So involuntary muscle contractions where your brain can't tell it to relax. So if that happens in the pelvic floor, in this web of muscles, that, that web of muscles is really in a circle, right? So it contracts and, and you can't, if you can't, your brain can't tell it to relax, it, it needs to be stretched out passively, right? And so that's, that's basically what vaginismus is. It's an involuntary contraction of the pelvic floor muscles, and it can feel like the vagina is too tight. But what it really is, is the whole pelvic floor musculature is too tight. When that becomes a problem is is basically either when you're trying to have sex or even to put a tampon in. We would call it any kind of wanted penetration. And it is usually sex or a tampon, but it also could be when you go to the doctor for an exam. And typically, typically folks that have have this condition, the last thing they want is a pelvic exam. I mean, nobody really likes them, right? Sure. Um, but uh, they can be very upsetting and terrifying for, for well, folks that have this, this condition. And that can actually impact on your health. I've known individuals who can't get a pelvic exam, therefore they can't get a um, pap smear. And so it really is important. It is important. And, and, and it's also very treatable. So the symptoms are pain and anxiety with wanted penetration. That's essentially all it is. And what's funny is for me, when I start talking to, to people about vaginismus, no one's ever heard of the word. It, um, it doesn't really mean anything to anybody. And so typically the conversation would start with, oh, that's not me. But by the t- if I'm sitting at a table with a few women, by the end of the conversation, probably half of them are like, oh, that's either me or my daughter or my girlfriend or you know that, sure. that kind of thing. Because um, we, we can talk about how, how vaginismus happens. But uh, it is a pretty common condition. So what are the causes? There is such a thing as primary vaginismus where, and, and, and I've met a lot of people who have this, who were that way as a, as a young girl or their daughter has that where um, she just can't get a tampon in from, from a young age. And it's just the muscles are really t- tight and nobody knows why. And there's not any other kind of underlying cause that anyone can find. The more you try, the more tense you get, and it's a vicious cycle. Well, that's true across the board. Sure. You know, it's definitely a mind-body thing. So if you try to force it, it only gets worse. So, um, but the, the majority of people that have vaginismus, I would call it secondary vaginismus, meaning it's a condition that happens because of something else. And so the big groups of folks that can end up with vaginismus as a secondary condition are menopausal patients. So the tissue is drier, the tissue's thinner, sex starts to hurt for its own reason. And, um, and then because she's, she knows she's got anticipation. And by the way, I just want to make a note about gender pronouns. I'm going to use she just for simplicity, but I'd mean sure. anyone who identifies as having a vagina. Um, and uh, we really work on trying to be inclusive. Um, but anyway, to um, so sh- she knows that it's going to hurt. And so she starts to clench up in anticipation and it becomes involuntary and that that kind of contraction. Um, So menopause, um, sometimes cancer survivors can end up with vaginismus. So the tissues drier if they've received radiation vaginally or if, um, and chemotherapy can put women into a sudden menopause as well. Um, Sexual assault survivors, this is more of a mind body problem, right? But, But having gone through that kind of trauma, 
um, can trigger vaginismus as a secondary condition. Um, and then there's, uh, ch- you know, childbirth injuries after giving birth. Sometimes you can, um, it can, it, it would be normal to have temporary pain and anxiety about wanted penetration after you have a baby vaginally. But if it goes on for more than six months and becomes chronic and involuntary, that's really where we would call it secondary vaginismus. And it can happen after that. It, there's a large group of sort of miscellaneous reasons, endometriosis, fibroids, fibromyalgia, Crohn's disease. There's a lot of reasons why women can have what I would call pelvic pain. And if it goes on for a while, it becomes this other condition, secondary vaginismus. And then you also mentioned dyspareunia, which is basically painful sex, the progression of, of this vaginismus. That's right. I think that's a great point. So, so painful sex becomes that intermediate experience that if it goes on for a while can cause vaginismus. ACOG says that three out of four women will experience painful sex at some point in their lives. So I think this is a really common experience, and we're just in this area where it's become chronic. It's funny because it's a cause of vaginismus, and then it's also a symptom of vaginismus. So our indication is for this chronically tight pelvic floor and associated painful sex. So as an internist, you know, my first um, suggestion for anyone experiencing pain or discomfort is to check it out with the physician. You want to know what the problem is and make sure that there's not something else that needs to be treated other than just that symptom. Then once that individual goes to the physician, how do they access your product and would physicians then prescribe it? Yes, absolutely. And so and it, it's it's common, I will just sort of, I will say it's common for patients who are seeking help for this to find clinicians that don't understand. Because, I don't know, did you get taught about vaginismus in medical school? Not very no. much, or, or even, you know, how to ask the question, right? Because a lot of patients won't just offer that up. No. So that's a really good point. No. But I hope that through this podcast and, and, you know, your work and all of that is that we're really encouraging um, women to say that there's something wrong. Absolutely. And, you know, I interviewed um, Lindsay Harper from Rosie Health. <laughs> and we had a, I know, she's great. She's okay. an OBGYN that has a um, sexual health app. And we talked about, you know, really in, that we really need to encourage people to talk about that, even if it doesn't get asked. She even suggested to make a, if it's, if that's your specific issue, make a specific appointment for it. It's that important. It is that important. Absolutely. And I really appreciate that you as an internist are keying into this because OBGYNs are not the only place where patients can be seen for these, for these issues. You know, your GP can deal with this. Um, And we have a lot of resources on our website and we have a lot of helpful information for patients to, to help get their clinicians on board. And if you can't do that, we have also, and we don't get paid for this, we don't have any kickback, there's nothing for us, <laughs> except we have a, a map where you can put in your zip code on our website, and you can find clinicians who are, understand what Millie is and can prescribe it. Um, and oh, terrific. Yeah, so you can do that right now. So I would think that the second step, you know, the first step is getting it to be prescribed. The second one is knowing how to use it. So it's really a dilation therapy, and it's it's a form of physical therapy for your pelvic floor that you can do at home, which is helpful because there's also not enough pelvic floor physical therapists out there. But again, you can find some that of them on true. our website. Um, but you know, 
it, I think we recommend a range of minutes per, per therapy treatment and a range of frequencies. And so pa- patients can figure it out from those instructions. And so you talked about that's a dilator and how, how it's used in general. How are you different than some of the other products on the market? Well, Millie is the only expanding dilator on the market. All of the other types of products are, are forms of the same thing, which is essentially a set of dildos. The patient is supposed to put the smallest size in, and then the next size goes up a few, you know, maybe a, centi- you know, some, a centimeter or something like that. And, and it's, it's painful to go between sizes, um, but the idea is that you're trying to stretch the muscles back out. Um, Millie is a, an expanding dilator, so there's only one insertion per treatment. So you put Millie in, it goes in about the size of your pinky, and then inside the wand are expanding arms. So the patient presses a little button, it's, it, and it's got a, an LED readout so the patient can see how many millimeters, that's why it's called Millie, <laughs> oh, how many okay. millimeters the, that person's achieved that day. And it's helpful so the patients can see, oh, I was 15 when I started, and, and I got up to 23, and my partner's maybe a 35, <laughs> <laughs> and right? And so that's really it is you're trying to, to dilate the muscles. But it, doing it inside, the, within the vagina is so much more comfortable and so gradual, so one millimeter at a time. And Millie also has optional vibration. We can't make any claims about the vibration, but um, people can look up what physical therapists have to say about the use of vibration, and patients usually can figure <laughs> out what to do with it. It sounds f- somewhat clinical, right? And so do you suggest like putting on music or doing anything to kind of enhance the experience? Yeah, well, you know, we, we're, we're not allowed to give any medical advice, but it's pretty intuitive mind-body stuff. Like anything that helps you relax is really the whole sure. point. So being somewhere that feels safe, being somewhere where you, you're going to be alone if you want to be alone and be with your partner if you want to be with your partner. Um, many of our patients use it as pre- preparation for intercourse, um, and that kind of sure. makes sense, right? Um, and there, we have some guidance as well on how to talk to your partner um, and that has been helpful too. Generally, I'll say partners struggle with this as well because vaginismus is really hard mm-hmm. on a relationship. You know, the patients tend to feel like there's something wrong with them. The partner can feel like there's something wrong with them or, you know, that things can feel really very upsetting. Um, and so we hope for all of our patients that they have good partners that are there to support them and not push pushing is counterproductive. So just being gentle and, you know, calming and relaxing and supportive. And is it covered by uh, insurance? A lot of our patients use an FSA. I won't get up on my soapbox <laughs> about how our, the, uh, the U.S. health system does or does not reimburse physical therapy. Um, but, you know, a lot of the incentives are upside down. Ah. <sighs> Physical therapy should be more reimbursed than it is. Um, and so Millie is not a reimbursable medical device, so people have to pay for it out of pocket, which upsets us because we are really focused on health equity and we want this to be available to anyone, but people do have to, have to pay out of pocket. And if they have insurance, they can use their FSA. So I've asked most of my guests that are in this space, have you had any problems advertising your product because it is a sexually oriented women's health product? I would say we, about 50% of our work gets censored. 
and uh, it was censored for adult content. The, you know, it would be like a picture of a woman in a yoga outfit meditating and it would say something like, reclaim your health. Right. And it would be censored for adult content because it landed on our, because the click through would go to our webpage and it had a picture of Millie, which the bots picked up and looked like, looks, maybe looks like a sex toy to a, to a bot. And that was, and that's the way the algorithms were written. And when I talk about policy, that's what I mean. It's not even as simple as some bad person trying to keep us down. It's like written into the code. And now that Meta has come out with their quote change in policy, do you think that that's going to make it better for you? I sure hope so. I haven't. We're not running campaigns at the moment that would help us know. But I, it certainly seems like a step in the right sure. direction. Well, you know, I always joke that my two girls knew more about, you know, ED than they knew before they knew what a vagina was. So <laughs> exactly. About their own bodies, right? So we have a lot of yeah. work to do. And I'm glad that uh, you're, yeah. you're doing that. Um, oh, it's, it's a great, it's very gratifying work. So you said that you're an engineer. Um you know, obviously, you've learned a lot, you know, uh, you're speaking as as well as any clinician, I think. Um, <laughs> oh, my but gosh, how did you get into this? Flattered. No, absolutely. Uh, I always feel like I'm on my back foot talking about OBGYN. I'm not an OBGYN. Um, how did I get into this? Well, I have been working in healthcare for about 25 years. Um, and I've always been working in innovative products. That's really what I do. I'm a commercialization expert on medical products. So I started in pharma, had a wonderful time there and moved over to devices about, gosh, almost 20 years ago. I can't believe it. What is happening? <laughs> time flies um, when you're having fun. <laughs> it really does. Time does fly. And, uh, and just really fell in love with the launching. I'm, I'm, I love to create teams and products. And so I was working at another company when Materna found me. So they were the founder did an incredible job of developing these products and getting them through the pilot study. I mean, just an incredible accomplishment and and very cost efficiently, I will add. Um, and then they were looking for the CEO. Often this is a relay race, um, and they were looking for the CEO that would take the products commercial. And um, and I wasn't looking to be the CEO of a startup, uh, and hadn't thought of, I'd never heard of any of this stuff. But every time I talked to another person during the interview process, I just got more and more interested. And I, and I took the job with kind of with my engineer mind, you know, it has good intellectual property and clear regulatory path and good early clinical data and even some early commercial traction, um, great team, huge market with no comp- competition. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a first for me. Yes. I've never worked <laughs> in an area where there really weren't any, any competitors. Um, the, the flip side of it is there's a big market development and market education lift. And so thank you so much for the opportunity to be on here and for your mm-hmm. leadership. There are a lot of like-minded people working on these issues in women's health and, and media is incredibly important. Um, but in the end, you know, I, I found that even though I took the job with my rational mind, what I found is far and away the most fun I have ever had, the most gratifying job I can imagine. Uh, I, it would be very hard for me to picture leaving women's health after this. It is just, there's so much work to do. Yes. And the community is unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. So we always like to leave folks with one action item they could take to improve their health um, that they can do. Any suggestions for our listeners? 
one thing that they can do to improve their health? I'm going to go with mindfulness. Yeah, meditation, taking quiet time, um, and really listening to yourself, your inner voice, and your body. If something hurts, listen and advocate for yourself. And it always starts with pausing and, and really listening to the wisdom of your own body and your own mind and soul and heart. Beautifully said. Tracy McNeil, CEO and president of Materna Medical. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. If you're having symptoms of vaginismus, I hope this podcast has encouraged you to discuss your issues with your healthcare provider. As Tracy mentioned, there may be exacerbating factors that are causing or magnifying the problem and need to be addressed as well. If you're interested in Millie, Tracy has provided us with a discount code for you, which are in the podcast notes. At this time, the device is prescription only, so you will have to consult your physician. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on this topic and many others, please visit us at beyondthepapergown.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast so you can stay up to date on the issues that impact women's health. Our podcast is produced by Patrick Shambayati and me, and our associate producer is Kyla McMillian. Until next time, be well.